in a monthly theme so that we kind of stay on the same topic for four to five weeks before we change to something new. And this month, we are talking about fear. Fear no more. We learned last week that um, just under 400 times the Bible talks about not fearing, instructing us to take courage and to have no fear. And so we're going to continue that today. And I want to just jump right in. We're going to be looking at a scripture in 2 Timothy and also just kind of learning and, and talking about Timothy himself and was Timothy timid and how did God use him? So we're going to kind of go over some background information about Timothy first before we go to actually the second letter written to Timothy where we'll find our scripture today. So Timothy has two letters in the New Testament written to him. And that's pretty significant considering all the companions that Paul had and how many people were ministering at the, that time that there were two letters written to him. Paul met Timothy on his second missionary trip. And so we're going to actually read uh, uh, some scriptures from Acts right now. This isn't the, the scripture we're studying today, but this gives us some background information about Timothy and Paul. So let's take a look at Acts 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, so we have some more information here about him. We just read that his mother was Jewish, and we're going to see in another verse in a minute here that also his grandmother was Jewish, and they were believers. They believed in the Messiah. They were Christian Jews, but his father was Greek, so he was likely a pagan, likely not a believer. And so this would make him just a really... Uh, interesting companion for Paul to do ministry with because he understood the Jewish faith, he understood the traditions, um, everything about that faith, but he also understood Greek culture. And so he was uniquely suited to be an evangelist and do ministry in this time, to be able to minister to both Jews and the Greeks. And so I can see, uh, as besides that everyone spoke well of him, he had good character, I could see why Paul was like, yes, you have a calling to do this ministry with me. All right, let's just talk about this for a second because it did say this in that verse, that he, that he gets circumcised as an adult. Uh, I think it's worth pausing here for a minute to talk about that. I, I, I'm very curious how that conversation went down, right? So it's like maybe Paul's going through some things like, okay, have you really counted the cost? of what it is, you know, to do ministry, to be a missionary, you know, are, are your parents taken care of? Cool. Are you okay with maybe being shipwrecked and, and going hungry? Yes? Cool, 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 cool. Good, good, good. Okay. Uh, last thing, uh, last thing in my notes to talk about. Uh, we need a little fair so that everyone's like, mm. how did he say that? How did he do that? How did he get into that conversation? However he said it, he asked to be circumcised, and Timmy was like, okay, let's do it. So that, I think that speaks well of his character there, that uh, he went through with that. And we know that he didn't do that so that God would receive him. 
That wasn't a requirement to come to faith, but Paul knew that the Jews would have a difficult time receiving from him and hearing from him if he was not circumcised. So, uh, so, so he does it. Good for him. And so they travel around, uh, and they start their ministry, and they evangelize different places. They go on many trips together. Sometimes Timothy was sent ahead to a place uh, and, and would get started there, and then Paul would join him. And then after Paul was imprisoned the first time, Paul then commissions Timothy and asks Timothy to stay in Ephesus to lead that church and to oversee that church. And so if you read through the first letter written to Timothy, uh, you can see that maybe even Timothy was a little uncomfortable in this role because, because Paul is encouraging him a lot and saying, no, you, you can't, don't travel with me anymore. Like, you are here. You are overseeing this church. You're pastoring this church. Don't be intimidated that you're younger. Like, this is what you're called to do. And so that's what we kind of see among... Uh, along with other things in the book of 1 Timothy. And so now let's skip ahead to the second letter that gets written to him, because that's where our scripture is from today. And so if we fast forward a little bit in the timeline, Timothy is still in Ephesus, and Paul now is imprisoned again. And Paul will not be leaving prison. Paul is going to be killed very shortly. And Paul senses this. He knows that the end is near. And so he's very concerned about the church. And so 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul writes before he dies. And he's concerned for the church because it's a very difficult time. There's a lot of false doctrine coming in, false teachers. And so, so Paul is encouraging Timothy, like, you've got to contend for the faith. Don't allow fa false doctrine to seep in. And there's also growing persecution. This is AD 67 right now with Emperor Nero. And there was the big, remember the burning of, of the Roman Empire, the big fire that swept through. And Nero actually blamed the Christians because he was trying to stop the Christian movement that was happening. And so Nero said, hey, it was the Christians that started this fire that burnt down our city. And so the persecution against Christians increased drastically. And Christians were being arrested and martyred all over the place, an exponential rate. And specifically, they were searching for um, like the leaders of, of the Christian movement. And so along with this time, at this time, the leadership of the church is being transitioned from the first generation of leaders to a new generation of leaders. Why? Because the leaders were being martyred and they were being killed and the apostles were, were nearly all gone. And so they were transitioning churches. They had to find new leaders. And so what a huge uh, time for the church. And so Paul pins this letter to Timothy as his last letter. And so this is kind of the atmosphere, this is the setting that this letter is written in to Timothy in Ephesus. So we're going to read seven verses, but we're really going to be studying six and seven today, the last two that we're going to read. So let's begin, Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as I did with my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. And he calls him his child because Timothy was a spiritual son to Paul. Paul mentored him, and Timothy saw Paul as a spiritual father, as a mentor. And so they loved each other. They had traveled together. They had ministered together for years. And so there was a deep love and relationship there. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. 
I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And so we've already talked about that, that lineage he comes from and that his, his mother and grandmother were believers. If we just think for a moment, why was Timothy crying the last time they were together? Paul's saying, I'm thinking about that. Uh, you crying, I'm thinking about your tears. Well, it's very likely that Timothy knew he, would never, he might not ever see Paul again. And, and, and Paul was also leaving him this huge job of leading the church. And so I imagine it was a very emotional time for them um, as he said goodbye to Paul. And you know, there was not a Zoom option available to Timothy. So he's getting left this huge job of pastoring this church and, and maybe even kind of coming out of the ministry that he preferred to do, which was being an evangelist, traveling around. And Paul's like, you got this, you got this, son, I love you. Like, I imagine the weight that Timothy felt. Because he can't just call up on the phone and be like, hey, how do I deal with this? Timothy was, was on his own there with the local leaders. Okay, so now let's get into uh, this verse here that I want to spend some time on. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So maybe a little bit of a strange verse, just to read that straight through, when he says, the laying on of my hands. That's something that, that we do in the faith that we see in scripture. When you anoint someone, when you appoint someone for a position, you would place your hands on them. We still do this now, and you pray for them. Pray for the anointing to consecrate them, to, uh, uh, to put them in this position. So Paul is reminding Timothy, look, we laid our hands on you, and we prayed and appointed you to this this, for this gift from God of you to, to lead this church, this gift of pastoring. So he's reminding him, you've been appointed to, to, to pastor here, to use your gifting. And he says, to fan into flame. What does that exactly mean? So let's look at that. That Greek word there, there it is, you can see it there. That's, fan into flame means to kindle afresh or to keep in full flame. So it describes the gift that God gives us as an active flame that has to be kindled, that has to be stirred up and kept alive. If you have a fire started for you, you know, you've got the wood, you've got the, the friction, the thing that causes the heat and the flame, it may be a fire for a time, but you have to get down there and stir it up, keep it going, add to it, or that fire will die out. And so although God gives us gifts, and he does, there are many gifts that the New Testament talks about that he imparts to us. You could have the gift of evangelism, the gift of teaching, the gift of mercy, the gift of helps, gift of discernment, gift of prophecy. Whatever that gift is, God has given it freely to us, to each one of us, but there is an element that requires the, co the cooperation of our will and our desire to keep that gift alive in us and active and burning. And so Paul here is encouraging Timothy, stir it up, stir it up. Don't let that gifting die out in you. Don't back down, stir up that gift that you were anointed for, that you were appointed for when we laid hands on you and prayed for you and put you, you know, in this position. And so we could ask ourselves, okay, so how? So how do we stir up? How do we kindle afresh or keep in full flame the gift God has given us? Well, one quick answer would be, you know, the Holy Spirit, spending time with him, connecting with the Holy Spirit on that deep level that he can fill you up. But I'm going to give you another very simple way 
very simple requirement in order for us to stir up the gifts, and that is to be a part of the body. You must be a part of the local body of Christ to participate, to be in it. Why? Why is that a requirement, you say? Because the gifts are for the body. That is the only reason we are given to them. So if I have the gift of prophecy, which the point of prophecy is to encourage, strengthen, or comfort, if I have that gift, it's not to encourage, strengthen, or comfort myself. It's to encourage and strengthen or, or comfort you. If I have the gift of mercy, it's not to sit with myself in suffering. It's to sit with you in suffering when you're hurting and saying, I'm here for you. Let me draw near to you. The gifts we are given are for each other, for the building up of the body so that we can be equipped to then go out and bring more people in. So if I am to stir up, if I'm to kindle this flame, the gift God has given me, then I have to be part of the local body. I have to come in on a Sunday morning. You know, the person who's stirring themselves up, stirring up this gift, that's the person that comes in on a Sunday morning or to small group or in your neighborhood as you reach out to neighbors and, and, and are trying to win them, that's the person that enters those places and spaces and they're looking and they're like, all right, God, all right, I'm here on a Sunday morning. I believe you've given me the gift of pastoring, of shepherding people, of comforting them, of praying with them, of guiding them. Who here needs that today? Is there someone here not in a group that hasn't been brought in Then I'm gonna take that on, that's my job here in this local body. That's how we stir up. One of the ways we can stir up that gift in us, but you can't do that if you're not invested in the body of Christ, in the local church. It's interesting because in First and Second Timothy, there are 25 different times that Paul encourages Timothy to be bold, to be strong, or to not shy away from confrontation. And so it seems to be a constant theme that Paul is saying to Timothy. And so it leads us to ask the question, was Timothy timid? Was he more reserved? And you know, that, I think that could be a safe assumption to make, that maybe he had a more reserved personality, maybe he was more timid, and if that's the case, that really ministers to me. I'm glad that God uses all different types of personalities, that it's not just the bold people like Paul that can be used. He'll use more reserved personalities too. So that's one possibility. It's also possible, though, that reading it through the lens of Paul, compared to Paul, anyone probably seemed timid. <laughs> Does anyone have a really bold and aggressive friend, or maybe you have a really bold and aggressive personality? Compared to that person, they think everybody's timid, and it's like, no, 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 I, I have a regular constitution. I, I have normal courage. A normal person, you are just like crazy aggressive, and that's cool, because God needs that too. But maybe timid wasn't Timothy. I mean, maybe Timothy wasn't timid. Pick it a pick. That was the remix there. Flipped it around. Maybe he wasn't timid. Maybe just through the eyes of Paul, Paul was just like, come on, be more aggressive, be more aggressive. Here's the third option. Maybe Timothy just had a humongous job of pastoring a very difficult church in a very difficult time. Maybe he had great courage. Maybe he was bold. But maybe Paul just knew that someone up against that kind of job needed to be encouraged over and over and over so he wouldn't lose heart. You know, in this time, I already mentioned that this is the time of Nero, but he was really actively pressing down against the church. He was actively pressing against this Christian movement. 
And he was particularly hard on Christian leaders. And it was no secret that Timothy was Paul's protege. That would have been well known. And Paul was already arrested. And so there was something, we have the term now of Roman candles. That's a term we have for fireworks. This actually started in that time from Nero. I have a painting. If you, if you have a child in here that you did send to, to Kids Church, I'd maybe just plug their ears for a minute because this is a little graphic. Um, this is a painting from a Polish painter in the uh, 1800s, but he depicts this scene that this would happen. It might be kind of hard to see from where you are. But the term Roman candles came from Emperor Nero and the way that he would, he would have these parties and the way that he would provide light at his parties was to put Christians up on poles around his gardens and light them on fire. And that's where we get the term Roman candles. And so these are the types of things that are happening to Christians at that time. And so it seems like Paul's words here when he's like, look, you got to stir that gifting. Don't let that flame die. Was it because Timothy was kind of backing out of his calling? Was he kind of taking a step back and just like, okay, maybe, maybe I need to keep a lower profile. Maybe this isn't what I want to be doing anyway. So had he slipped back from his pastoral calling? Maybe. We don't know. Or maybe he was just up against a whole lot. And so Paul encouraged him over and over. And then he pinned these next words, which are so beautiful. What a beautiful sentence we're about to read that, that is packed with so much power. So he tells Timothy, For God gave us his spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And so let's just take a few minutes before we close to kind of look at that. So if you, he's saying, Timothy, if you are operating in fear, if that's, a, if that's a motivating factor in the decisions you are making, okay, but just know that's you. That's the flesh. That's not the spirit of a God. So when we operate in fear, that's us operating in our flesh. Because when you operate in the spirit, when the Holy Spirit is working through you, then there are three things that are evident. And these are those three things, power, love, and self-control. So let's look at those and kind of juxtapose them against the idea of the flesh. Power, what's that mean? That he gave us a spirit of power. Does that mean that anything I say is going to go and happen, I'm going to be successful in everything I do, and everyone has to do what I say? That's not the power he's talking about here. When he says he's given us a spirit of power... It's that you can use your gifting, you can serve God, you can fulfill your calling without fear. That you go for it in boldness because you know God has called you to it. That's the power he's talking about. A power of boldness to use your gifting that I'm not insecure, that I have the fortitude, I have the power to do, to be obedient to the gift God has given me, to the thing he has asked me to do. I am empowered to serve the body. Listen, I didn't put this up here, but I... Think about John 13. In John 13, it says, And Jesus, knowing the Father, had given him full authority, or it says, had given all power into his hands. What was the first thing he did? It said he stood up, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. What? What a wild and bizarre verse. That Jesus, knowing all power had been given to him, knelt down and served his disciples. 
We have been given power to serve, to serve the people around us, the people in this body and the people that need to know who Christ is. That is the power that we know we are walking with the Spirit when we are emboldened to do what we know we are called to do. Amen? All right, the next one, love. We won't spend too much time on this one because we just did a whole series on love. So if you didn't hear that last month, I encourage you to look that up. But Paul is saying, if you are walking in the flesh, the flesh, when it feels threatened, we resort to loving ourselves. We're like, kind of, we'll take care of ourselves. We put ourselves first, our family first. But love, the love here is that agape love, that self-sacrificial love that we spent a whole week talking about that says when I feel threatened, when things are hard, I still have a self-sacrificial love to put others first. And we don't need any proof to, to, to show that when we feel threatened, that we put ourselves first. And the only way we need to show that, the reason I don't need to prove that, is because anytime a hurricane is coming, or when COVID's coming, you can't buy toilet paper or water bottles. Why? Because I've filled as much toilet paper as I possibly can in my car, and I've taken all the water I can. Why do we do that? There's something that when our comfort is threatened, when things might get tough, and it's like, well, let me just take all the water from the store for me and not worry about if there's any for you. That's our flesh. Our flesh does that. Well, I got, I got to take care of me and mine. But the Spirit of God says, listen, if, you're, or if we're operating in the Spirit of God, and although we are to prepare, we are to be wise, but we are still to seek how we can serve others, how we can love others by sacrificing ourselves. That is the way of Jesus. And lastly, self-control. Self-control, this means a self-disciplined mind. When we are walking in the flesh, when we're walking in fear, that word there, uh, spirit of fear, actually means the spirit of cowardice, We'll know we're walking in the flesh when we have that B-roll tape rolling in our mind over and over with the question, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I lose my job? What if they leave me? What if I don't protect my kids every second and something bad happens to them? What if, what if the economy crashes? What if gas keeps going up? What if, what if, and that question rolls around our head over and over and over and the worry. But Paul is encouraging Timothy here. He says, if you are walking in the Spirit, then a sign that the Holy Spirit is active in you is that you have a disciplined mind. It means I take captive the thoughts that run. I don't have to grab every thought that runs through. The scripture says, hey, if it's lovely, if it's true, if it's good, if it's pure, if it's admirable, think about it. Think about it. We don't have to catch every thought. But when there's worry, when there's fear, when there's unforgiveness, when there's negativity, when there are things that are against faith, we are to take captive those thoughts and say, you know what? Nope, nope, nope. Let me roll that back. Not going to spend my time thinking about that. I'm going to choose to think about faith here. I'm going to pick up a friend and call and pray for her to get my mind off worrying about the situation. Or I'm going to spend time in prayer. Or I'm going to speak out words of faith. Or whatever you need to do. A self-disciplined mind is a sign that you are moving in the spirit of God and not in the flesh. Uh, you know, I, I have three daughters and if there is even the smallest 
and I mean the smallest bug of any kind, or gnat, or fly, and if it flies anywhere near them, I mean, you, were, you would think they were dangling over the edge of a volcano. I mean, it's just absolutely berserk. They just lose their mind. <laughs> there was no soundness of mind. And you know, one day, it was, there was a little flat mat in the back seat. They were all losing it. And so I just like pulled over and I'm like, we need to have a talk. And I was like, let's reason together. Let's be rational here. This thing is so tiny. And I'm like, if it even has teeth, even if you offer, offer up your flesh to it. I'm like, the worst thing that would happen is this little tiny beep. And I'm like, just statistically, I'm like, nothing can happen to you, nothing. So it's like, let's be rational, let's be reasonable. And they're all like, this sounds good. Guess what happened the next time a bug came in the house? It's berserk, it's absolute bananas. There's no soundness of mind. And, you know, the same thing happens to us when worries and fear, when we just absolutely go bananas in our mind. Just like, what if this? What if that? What if this? We're operating in the flesh. And that, and that tells us we're not operating in the spirit. And I wonder, I mean, there, certainly there could be lots of sermons on why worrying is a sin, because the Bible does say that to worry is a sin. And it can be a little bit like, well, that seems a little harsh, God. You know, like, why is it sinful? Like, don't you know this life is hard? Like, bad things have happened to me. Hard things have happened to me. Why is it a sin if we're, like, thinking about that or worrying or anticipating the difficulty that, that may come one day? And I'm sure there's a lot to say on it, but I, I, but I imagine that just one part of it, one piece of it, is that when we spend our time worrying, we're not practicing that self-disciplined mind. We're not practicing that. So even when things are good or things are fine, we're still worrying. What about when my kids go to school? What about when I have to pay for this? What, you know, whatever it is. And if we don't practice a self-disciplined mind when things are easier, then when adversity comes and when difficulty happens and when tragedy strikes, because it will in this life, then you're at such greater danger of being taken out because you did not use the easier times to practice a disciplined mind, to practice taking hold of those thoughts that would try to steal your faith. And so when adversity comes, when difficulty comes, it's like we've had no practice. And so those thoughts that are sure to come after us in difficulty, like, doesn't God love you? Why doesn't he care? Why does he let bad things happen? Maybe your future's done. Maybe you've messed up too bad. All those thoughts that come in when there's adversity, when there's difficulty, if you haven't practiced having a disciplined mind and taking those thoughts captive, then the enemy is just going to have a field day trying to knock you out. And so scripture says, practice, have a disciplined mind. I think that might be one reason why comfort is such a drug to us. Like, you know, we love comfort. And, and I think part of it is because it's the lazy way to have a peaceful mind. You know, there's nothing wrong with TV. There's nothing sinful about video games or all these things that we do or scrolling through Instagram. It's not sinful in itself. But I think it's our lazy way of having a peaceful mind. Because instead of actually taking every thought captive and saying, I'm not going to worry about that situation at work. I'm not going to worry about what my kid's going through at college. I'm going to pray for her. Instead, instead of like working through that and making it a matter of prayer or taking every thought captive or speaking words of faith, I'm just going to like disconnect. I just need to disconnect. I just need to put something on so I don't think about it. 
And we certainly are allowed to have times of rest, but we shouldn't use it as a, a lazy man's way of having peace in our mind. We have to have a disciplined mind. We ought to, anyway, is what Scripture says, if the Spirit is alive in us. All right. We're going to close. Let's just go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray for us, but I want to give some, some room for the Holy Spirit to minister to us. You know, there's a level of fear that everyone feels, you know, going through life, uh, especially in difficult times. This is a particularly uh, fear-inducing time right now <laughs> with what's going on in our country and other countries. So there's just a level of fear that we all have to deal with. And then there's those who've, who've grown up and had trauma in your life. Maybe you, you, uh, you know, people who have fought in wars, people who had come from abusive relationships, people that had unstable childhoods, that didn't have a mom and dad who was safe. There's, there's things that happen that then can put you in a position where maybe fear is an even bigger, has an even bigger hold on you because of things that, you know, were outside of your control. And then there's the anxiety that comes with just the constant stream of news and information and social media that it's like there's so many opinions and at any moment I could be saying something offensive or saying the wrong thing or what is the right thing. The anxiety that is plaguing us also because of just the relentless amount of information that comes. So everyone here may be in a different spot when it comes to fear and how much you wrestle with it. Maybe you're like a Paul in the Bible and you just have a personality that you're just like, fear, what are you talking about? Let's just go, take life on. There's no failure. God bless you. Be patient with those of us that don't feel that way, with those of us that wrestle more with fear or being timid or, or, or struggling in our, our thought life or with anxiety. So I just want to give a few minutes for us to let the Holy Spirit speak to us because you don't need to hear any words from me. You need to hear from the Holy Spirit. You need Him. And so whatever I've said today, who cares? Let's let God speak to you. Let's ask Him to. And you might be like, this is so freaking weird if this is your first Sunday here, or if you're a believer and you're like, what are you saying? We believe that God does speak to us through his Holy Spirit. And it won't be an audible voice. I mean, it could be. I've never heard it like that. But let's just give a few minutes. If, you're, if you would, close your eyes. And if you're comfortable, I would just put out your hands to God. Say that you want to receive from him. It's just putting yourself in a, in a humbling position, a humbling posture to say, I want you to speak to me, God. I want to receive what you have to give me, Holy Spirit. And I pray right now, we're going to just take a few minutes of silence. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to your people. You would speak to your children. That you promised us that, that, that we could have your spirit that gives us soundness of mind, that gives us a sacrificial love, that gives us power to not be afraid of what you're asking us to do. So, Father, speak right now to each person, wherever they're at. I'm just going to give a few minutes.
thank you. You have allowed us to be in relationship with you. That you want to speak to us, that you want to comfort us, that you want to embolden us, give us purpose. Help us, Father, move away from fear and into more boldness in you, into trusting you more, more completely, more fully. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're gentle with us. It's like when your kids come in in the middle of the night and wake you up because they had a bad dream. You don't scream, get out of here, you idiot. But, we, but you take your child and you, cut, you hold them and you say, it's okay, I'm right here. And that's what you do with us, God. You don't push us away and yell at us when we come to you with our fears, even if they're so small to you, even if it's just like that little fly that can barely bite us, but we're really terrified. You don't push us away, you don't laugh at us. You say, come here, I have comfort for you. I have power for you. It's available, we have to just take it, we just have to receive it.